Hey everyone, it's Dan. Welcome to episode 60 of Eventually Super Train. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas! I've got something to play for you that, uh... Well, here it is. Let me see. We have a scarf for Skywalker, right? Yes. And perfume for the princess? Yes, yes. What about Han Solo? Couldn't we get him here? That leaves one big problem. The Wookiee! <laughs> I don't have the answer to that question. Maybe you do. I don't know. Surely Chewbacca has other hobbies or something that he does. I used to have the Chewbacca action figure. It was just him and sort of like a shoulder, not a shoulder holster, but like a shoulder thing off his shoulder with like little black boxes on it. Almost like a utility belt, but around the shoulder, utility shoulder thing. Maybe get him a new one of those. See what, see what, I never figured out what was in there. Bullets or I don't know. What do, what do uh, Wookiees eat? I haven't seen the holiday special in ages. Regardless, we're not going to be talking about the holiday special on this episode, although that would be fun now that I think about it. Well, we got going. Oh, hi, by the way, Dan. Uh, Dan here. By the way, Dan. Dan here. Hello. Eventually Super Train episode 60, the short-lived TV show podcast. Uh, we cover short-lived TV shows episode by episode, although this episode, the third segment, is sort of a special thing because we finished Green Hornet last time, and I didn't want to start the new show at the end of the year since I take January off, which means nothing to you if you're not listening to this in December, but just bear with me. Bear with me. So, this episode begins with episode 4 of Future Cop, with me discussing it. Episode 16 of Bourbon Street Beat, with Mitchell Hadley and myself. And then the final segment is kind of a fun little Christmas-related thing that I hope you will all enjoy. And uh, let us go to Future Cop. What can you get in a hurry for a hurry kind of friend like that? Episode 4 of Future Cop, The Carlisle Girl, directed by Vincent McVitie. McVitie, McVitie. Written by Harold Livingston. Original air date, April 22nd, 1977. So about two weeks after the previous episode aired, they are doing this show no favors. The gang, well, Cleaver, Haven, and Bundy are out driving. They see some sort of chicanery at a warehouse. They uh, catch one of the bad guys running around. 
and Bundy ends up going into an office and finding a gentleman named Herbert Conroy, who looks like he's hiding something suspicious in a safe in the floor. When Bundy tries to stop him, Conroy knocks the gun out of his hand and kind of holds up Bundy, but Cleaver and Haven rush in and stop it, and Conroy is very much like, this is my company, um, I don't understand what you're doing here, you're trespassing, and that, all that kind of business, and tries to get them to leave him alone, but he did hold a gun on a cop, so they haul haul Conroy in and Cleaver and Haven are writing up the police report when Bundy shows up and says I've dropped all the charges well why did you drop all the charges uh, because uh, there isn't enough proof and Cleaver says well both Haven and myself saw it so yeah there's there's plenty of proof that it happened we're dropping the charges and Bundy kind of gets real pig-headed and stubborn about it and won't tell Cleaver what's going on so the next day Cleaver and Haven go back to Conroy's office and they try to figure out uh, what's happening? They meet his uh, sort of assistant, office manager Claire Hamilton, who uh, gets a phone call that says she's going to pick up a Carlisle girl at the airport. Is in from out of the country. I think I think Mexico-ish. Cleaver sort of tries to have a conversation with Conroy, but Conroy is like, "Get out of here! I don't, get out of here!" Because he will not tell Cleaver why his buddy dropped the charges. And Monday is being very about the whole thing. The two guys go to visit Mrs. Bundy. And realize that Natalie, his daughter, Bundy's daughter, is a Carlisle girl and is out of the city and realizes it has something to do with that. And they talk to Bundy and we learn eventually that the lawyer, Conroy's lawyer, took Bundy aside and said, uh, more or less, your daughter is returning from a trip to Rio or Mexico City, something like that. Uh, the, the flight is from Rio to Mexico City to L.A., uh, from out of the country, uh, Mexico or South America, and she's going to come back with lots of cocaine. So if you don't want us to tip customs off, then you, you keep cool about it. And so that's why Bundy dropped the charges, but Cleaver ain't having that. And he comes up with a plan that he and Haven are going to pull off that will save the day, and it involves romance and Claire Hamilton. Well, Haven, romance and Claire Hamilton, it involves going to see Humphrey Bogart and Clark Gable films, and it involves switching the Carlisle girls' cases, which we will, I will probably spoil most of this episode as we go along, but I will leave it hanging there. What did, what did I think of the Carlisle girl? I thought it was okay. It's, it's not as good as, as the girl on the ledge, which seemed to be sort of opening, uh, what the show, uh, uh, what the show could do. Uh, th- this one has has John Amos's character sort of in the foreground again, along with his daughter, uh, but he doesn't quite do as much. It's more following uh, Cleaver and Haven and their investigations and trying to figure out a way to save the daughter and to save Bundy too and, and catch Conroy. And there's some good stuff in the episode. Uh, I like the ending. I, I think the ending works. There's a nice twist Rooney in there, which I guess I'll spoil in a little bit. Uh, but uh, I yeah, I like the ending. There's there's a sequence in here where so so cleaver takes haven to see clark gable film a humphrey bogart film to you know this is how you romance the gals and because they're going to go into her apartment and he's going to sort of romance claire and while you know she's slipping to something more comfortable babe she's going to leave the room and he'll throw one of the sample cases down to cleaver and they'll switch them and at the baggage um thingy at the airport so the daughter will have uh the a good sample case and claire will have one with the cocaine in it but there's another twist through that goes on top of that which i didn't see coming which i thought was fun and that that's an interesting scene because in theory it's fantastic because it has the feel of 
you know, he's just Claire is smooching with them and making out with them, and then she dress comes out in a negligee and says, "Let's go to the bedroom, carry me in." And the whole time, Haven has a look on his face, like, "What am I doing? What's going on? What do I do next?" This is obviously something he has not been prepared for. And there's a great joke in the end where Haven says to Cleaver, "Hey, as I was carrying Claire into the bedroom, I was thinking if you hadn't called me because at the last moment, Cleaver, these are all spoilers here, folks, because I think I'm." Jumping around here, folks. It's Christmas time. You know, we're all a little flustered. We're all a little busy. So forgive me. Uh, but I don't even remember. What was I saying? Oh, yeah. So, so, yeah, he's about to carry Claire and put her on the bed when when Haven... Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, when Cleaver calls Haven and, and Haven gets out of there. And he says... Haven says to Cleaver at the very end, they've had a final shootout with the bad guy on, on Malibu Beach. And they're walking along the beach. And you get sort of a voiceover. If... I take if you hadn't contacted me and I'd taken Claire to the bed, what would have happened next? He says, "Well, kid, that's kind of complicated. Maybe there are some films you could show me." Mm. And it's like I thought that was a good one, and I, yeah, it's more or less like maybe there are some things that are maybe better left unlearned. Uh, well, maybe not. Maybe that's something. If there were a third or fourth season, you know, he maybe they make a female android, but the Bride of Haven or something. Yeah, the the episode's an interesting one because you think there'd be more going on with Haven as an android because when when Cleaver has him do the uh do the thing where, where he tries he seduces Claire more or less he doesn't know what's going on and, and Cleaver doesn't tell him what's going on and so it's kind of fun to watch you think oh what's going to happen if they get in the bedroom but you also know that it's 1977 television so they're not going to get into the bedroom and it's, it's almost like I you kind of wish that maybe I don't know. I mean, it, it, the same thing could have been done with, like, you know, a cop from, I don't know, uh, Russia or something like that. Well, the Soviet Union or something like that coming in and, you know, or j- just sort of like a, a foreign cop or an alien cop or something like that. Might have might have uh, been a little more fun instead of, yeah, like an alien, uh, like an alienation kind of thing with a cop like that who doesn't quite know what all this is going on. And that that might have been a little more fun. The scene, there's a scene stands... I was slightly embarrassed watching Michael Shannon doing his Gable and Bogart, and he's at his best when he suddenly reverts back to himself. But this isn't this isn't really sort of like data here, folks. So it's it's just um, it's okay. I there there are a couple moments. There's there's a weird moment where he realizes she has a wall safe behind a painting, but they almost do like an X-ray thing. And I thought, does that is that something he has X-ray? I'm sure there's probably some power I'm missing, or that's just meant to be he senses that's behind there. But the way it looks, it looks like he's using X-ray to do it. Why doesn't he use X-ray more often? What else goes on in this episode? Yeah, I mean, overall, the episode's okay. Uh, if if this and Mad Mad Bomber and uh, Fight No Haven are the way the show was going, meh, I could, I could have seen it lasting a couple of seasons and being all right. I don't know that I would have particularly watched it. I would have wanted more of Haven's sort of learning about what it is to be human. And I don't... I don't get the feel that, that we're, we're getting any continuity between the episodes. There's, there's even a moment, and I may be missing this from an earlier episode, but the previous one began with the moment where one of his diodes is out. It's, it's the one where, like, um, the, the woman asks if she can put the volts through through Haven. And and Ernest Borg, well, Cleaver steps forward and says, hey, what about the last time it was a diode? Oh, yeah, it's a diode this time. And this episode begins with something going wrong, and it turns out to be a di- the doctor tells him, you know, it's it's a diode. So I'm, I'm guessing they were shown out of, out of order. I don't uh, have anything that 
proves that in any way shape or form but it would look like I, I would guess maybe carlisle girl came before girl on the ledge in production order it's funny to have two episodes that have girl in the title especially when you only have five you would think there'd be more variety of words you'd want to use there is some nice stuff in the beginning when bundy drops the charges and he just won't talk with cleaver about it that i like i mean these guys have been friends for ages and that's uh you know you can feel that when something like that happens when the you know, a friend suddenly becomes pig-headed over something. You can't figure out what's going on, and they won't—they won't let you in, and you have to sort of learn it on yourself. I like that. Uh, I mean, the thing with sort of the final stuff where he's switching bags, Haven switching bags and stuff. Again, there's really no need to have an android do that. Any anyone could do that. There's nothing in particular about that that uh, requires an android. And the reason why I keep harping on this is because it's supposed to be—he's an android, and he's supposed to be doing crazy, wacky stuff that no one else can do. And for everything he does that only an android could do, he, you know, he does two or three things that, like, a regular cop could, like a rookie cop, or like I said, an alien cop, or a, maybe a foreign cop, you know, something like that. And and half the time, the things he does is, is he, like, gives probabilities. There is a funny point where they're talking about... Uh, one, one of the things in the episode is about bending the rules. Cleaver wants Haven to help him bend the rules, and they want to steal a sample case from Claire Hamilton. And... Haven, Haven can't really do it. He can't. He can't understand why this would be something that they would do because they're police officers. And there's some lovely stuff there about sort of well, you got to bend the rules sometimes, and where uh, you have to be flexible. You have to be flexible. But but even then, there's this weird thing where he's he's sort of learning to be flexible as the episode. Haven's learning to be flexible as the episode goes along. But a lot of it too is very much Cleaver saying, "You're supposed to do what I say, right? Okay, we're going to do this. Yes, sir." As like, nah, is he learning or is he meant to be learning? I can't, I can't, is he an android that's meant to be learning? If, he, if he's not an android that's meant to be learning, then they should come right out and say that or something. Or did they? I don't remember them saying that. I always feel like when you have an android or something like that, they'll be learning about humanity as they go along. And so far, I don't have too much happening here with uh, with Haven. There's There are a couple nice moments in the end, uh, but, but most of it, I, I don't get a lot of that from it. And, and the other thing I don't get from this is that it does feel very similar in some ways to a Fighting O'Haven and to most of the Mad Mad Bomber, which which gives it a feel that, that like, sort of beyond Westworld. You know, the first episode destroyed Westworld pretty quick, quick then set up the premise. The premise being that the bad guy who ran Westworld has, like, a hundred robots, and he's sending them to various places, and you can barely tell them apart from humans that they're going to do something awful. And our gang, including Connie Selica, have to stop them, have to discover who the robot is and stop them. And so you get to the end of the five episodes, and you've pretty much seen the same thing five times. And you think, so this is going to be, the, I mean, there going to be a hundred episodes of the show before they get to the end, it's just this. And apart from Girl on the Ledge, this is, is this looks to me like just an average cop show that has a character who seems like he should be learning about humanity, but kind of isn't. And... And what he's, like, a rookie could learn... I don't mean to say that again and again. I'm just... We've only got one episode of this left. I'm imagining the follow-up TV movie is going to reboot this premise somewhat. So we only have one episode of this iteration of the show left. And so far, the last episode was the most interesting one and also sort of the most atypical. And I'm finding the way it goes now uh, to be alternately kind of interesting, 
a little dull, but okay in the end. Yeah, it's one of those shows where when the episode ended, I was like, oh, that wasn't that bad, until I looked at my notes and I thought, okay, that it's kind of bored there, and oh yeah, that scene, okay, oh, this, all right. So I guess we'll just we'll wrap this up with the, the sort of switcheroony, the nice twister uh, right at the end, where uh, basically Natalie doesn't have the cocaine in her bag, Custom checks it, and uh, Claire doesn't have any cocaine in the bag she has, so where the heck is it? And we learn this time around that someone uh, that she, uh, one of the clients she met up with, gave her a beautiful pair of fashionable platform shoes. And the cocaine is hidden in the platform shoe. So they're actually in her shoes, in her suitcase, which was a nice twister. And they, they you know, the Conroy ends up sending two sort of hitmen kind of guys uh, to bring them to the beach house and send them home or something like that i forget exactly what he says but you know kill him and the two uh the two the two guys they bring in are great because one of them has a nice sort of sleazy look to him and another looks a bit like uh was it mr kid um the partner of mr wint the two assassins from diamonds are forever and mr kid was was frightening in in that movie those two were were awful uh, but but this guy just has a look like he he's got to look like look I'm a CPA by day, I'm a hitman goon by night. Okay, hmm. maybe possibly. Uh, let's see anything else on this one? No, not really. I mean, it's it's uh, it, it kind of falls in line with Fighting O'Haven and most of Mad Mad Bomber. It's it's pretty good. I don't find it to be anything fantastic. Uh, we'll see what the next episode does. I'm I'm hoping it uses a little more of the android. To, to learning about humanity kind of thing that I'd love to see, but it doesn't have to. If that, if I guess, I guess what it comes down to is that I'm putting that on the show. If that's not what the show is, that's not what the show is. So I have to stop doing that. If the show, if the show is is about just like giving him these little insights into humanity every once in a while, and then forgetting them for the next episode, that's fine. It doesn't have to build if that's not what the show is. Boom, boom, boom. So there we go. I. I, I, I do like, though, that unlike Beyond Westworld, some of Mad Mad Bomber and all of Girl on the Ledge kind of threw me and made me think, I'm not sure what kind of show this is. I don't I don't exactly know what type of show this is. And that's kind of fun. I think Manimal was sort of like that. You watch the first few episodes and it does slightly different things. You're like, okay, what is this show? And it can be all of those different things. You know, eventually it'll probably settle down into sort of one path that it does variations on. But but it's nice to see that in these episodes, even if this one didn't do it so much, there is a bit of a variation and a bit of a like we're going to try this here, we're going to try that there. Not too crazy. But, but trying that and giving one character more development here, another character more development here. So, gosh, let's. <laughs> there's only one episode left, folks. These short shows are, um, are, are something. So, yeah, there's, we got one episode left, and that is The Kansas City Kid, which makes me think it's a follow-up to Fighting O'Haven. I, I, my guess, uh, uh, Haven goes undercover again, maybe as a mobster or a gangster. Who knows? We'll find out next time, folks. So let's hang in there and uh, let us go. Oh, Mitchell is standing by for Bourbon Street Beat. Find my face. It's an exclamation point, folks. That means it's got to be yelled. Find my face. Mitchell, would you give me a find my face? Find my face. <laughs> he, Mitchell made a little more camp, but that's okay. You know, it's it's fun. It's fun. You know, you can you can yell it however. You know, if if. You know, the, a family sitting around watching this circa, uh, are we, in, where are we here year-wise, time-wise? I, I said it in the opening, but I, 
I think we're at the end of 59, start of 60 around this point. Yeah, I think so. And so, like, I see, like, the whole family sitting around, and when the title card came up, I see, like, mom, dad, sis, brother, uncle, uh, grandma, all yelling, find my face in a different way. Yes. Um, so, uh... I, oh hey Mitchell's here everyone. How you doing, Mitchell? <laughs> I am I am uh, just swell. Oh yeah. wow, you, Dan. Awesome. Awesome. I'm doing all I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Um uh, we are yes, yeah, sixteen episodes into Bourbon Street Beat, really cooking along here. And this is a I think this this is an interesting episode because in, in some ways, um it's it's an episode that I find um kind of average, but in every other way. I really love the episode, mm. and we could discuss that. So let's, as always, let's. Mitchell, you're looking down. You're trying to find your face. Tell me what you think of the episode. Well, I think I think that you're right. It has some really nice um, nice parts to it. I think you might be able to say that uh, the individual parts are greater than the sum of the program. Yeah, but yeah. but on the other hand, uh, you've got uh, Charles Aidman, who is a fine actor, who. Um, introduces this this whole the whole find my face idea and really does a, a a nice job with the the fright that must go through your mind if you stumble into a situation where you find that you don't recognize yourself and that everybody else does and they keep telling you that you're somebody that you really don't think you are that's a very disturbing um premise and uh, it comes off really well in the beginning I think um, but at the same time it, it feels more like a Twilight Zone episode actually yeah at the be- yeah definitely yeah. Yeah. and and of course that in the sense that's not a surprise because Aidman did several episodes of the Twilight Zone I think he was the uh, narrator in the first um, revival of it uh, he played the oh, really? uh, the Serling role at least as far as being the narrator but mm-hmm. uh, so um i think i think that's interesting i think that um there are some uh some there's a there's a really interesting part right near the beginning when cal is going over the bills and uh, he and the, the bank balance and he is uh a little worried about making uh, paying all the bills and and of course i think it's because of the previous episode where oh, yeah. where um where obviously an inside man where rex was gone for so long they were <laughs> their income was halved so i yeah. you know, I, I choose to look at it that way that it <laughs> that it's a nice continuation but i think that the greatest the, the the this episode begins and ends with the reappearance of your favorite and mine yes. lusty weather hooray yes. i did i did not think she would return but it was so nice to see her again it was and it was completely it was completely unexpected it wasn't as if there was any tip that this was going to be a lusty weather type of an episode but uh it, it uh, and and it's nice because I love Nita Talbot in this role. And uh, just last night I was watching an episode of Hogan's Heroes that she was in mm-hmm. as the Russian spy Maria. And it's um, she always makes the Hogan's episodes fun, and she makes this fun when she's in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I it, it's really nice nice too because it's they're they're trying to figure out if if yeah this guy isn't who he says he was. They're trying to figure 
out who he might be and it kind of goes maybe he's a musician and then they talk with the Baron about it mm-hmm. and the Baron's got a new like a 78 or 45 or it looks like a 78 uh, um, but or maybe it's a 33 and a three, I don't know what were 16s do you ever have any 16s you know I never did <laughs> yeah it was it was the, the record player on the main stereo that my parents had growing up was yeah 16 33 and a third 45 and 78 we had a few old 78s we had mostly 33s and 45s mm-hmm. we never had a 16 i don't think i ever saw a 16 no. for some reason i imagine them to be like almost like like something the flintstones would use like a big stone that you place <laughs> on it or something like that but i've never even seen one um but yeah so it, it really is nice because it's like um so we're looking for this musician baron doesn't know who it is hey you know who might know who lusty and it's like, yeah. really? And then it cuts to her in like some uh, dive playing bongos. And it's like, I could watch her play bongos all well, day. And there's a wonderful explanation, too, for why yes. she's doing yep. that. Yep. Is because she's she's not doing her regular gig right now. And it's like, oh, why? Well, what happened? Well, she's got to take some time out of that. Uh, too much lusty, not enough tassels. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was doing a show with her friend who I think is named Sunset Boulevard or something like that. <laughs> the names are great, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, they're fantastic. I'd love to, in a in in a town that celebrates the Mardi Gras, they may have been somehow shocked by um, seeing, you know, Lusty's boobs yes, you know, or something yes. like that. You know, it's, oh, my God. <laughs> An early wardrobe malfunction. Yes, obviously. exactly. Yes. Uh, and, yeah, I, I think the thing with the episode that I love is that it is one of the episodes where everyone gets something to do mm-hmm. and that i mean literally like melody has her uh, sort of line she takes kenny goes over here cal goes here rex goes here lusty shows up. everyone has something to do and it all builds to the big ending on the yachts and the strange use of steam and um uh and and i i it's but but the the thing is it I think the thing is, I'm trying to sort of put together in my head why I don't love it, but I really, really like it and appreciate it, is I think it's um, that they gave everyone, it's almost like they gave everyone something to do, but as the mystery goes along, I think it becomes less interesting. Mm. So I think by the time you get to the yacht, you kind of just want to wrap everything up, and and there's no sort of... um no sort of forward momentum to it. Once you begin to kind of settle into, okay, here's what happened and here's what's going on. And now we just need to wrap it up. It, it, it becomes less interesting as it goes along, even as it becomes more interesting as everyone has something to do. And, and there's sort of, sort of almost like, well, do we need a better plot or mystery for this? Yeah. Everyone's got something to do. No one's going to notice. Yeah, well, I noticed. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I guess that's my one uh, uh, problem with the episode is, is there something about like what's going on in it that becomes the more, you know, the less interesting it becomes, yeah. I guess. Well, you know, uh, for example, too, you've got <clears throat> when they, when uh, Rex is thinking this through and determining that the guy might be a musician and part of what he picks up on is the way he keeps tapping his fingers in rhythm and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and um, how, all of a sudden, when the guy says, when when Aidman's character is trying to convince Rex that he's fine now, he he knows who he is. He's found his face, so to speak. But it's that rhythm or lack thereof that kind of gives him away. Yeah. And uh, from that moment on, I think you know you know how it's going to end. 
more or less. And it's just a matter of getting there. And um, it's it's like having it's like taking maybe taking a long road trip and you find that the the drive is extremely boring it's the places you stop at on the way that are fun yes mm-hmm. but there but otherwise there is no scenery you don't have any changing colors you don't have any spectacular mountains mm-hmm. what you've got is road yeah it's like it, it's like what well, no offense to anybody who uh, lives in Nebraska, but I've driven through Nebraska. Oh, That's what yeah. it's like, Nebraska yes, yes. or Kansas. There's nothing there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just goes on and on. And every once in a while, I would uh, the time I drove through Nebraska, every like hour, I would just stop my car and just stand staring, going, "Wow, it's still the same." Wow, I'm two hours down. It's still the same. How do you do it, Nebraskans? How do you do it? And then I get back in the car and keep on driving. But if you're listening to this show and you are in Nebraska, if you live in Nebraska, I want you to know that red is my favorite color. And so, of course, <laughs> I have a great affection for any team that uh, where you say, go big red. See? me, Same here. Same mm-hmm. here, folks. And I am I am a big fan of Bruce Springsteen's uh, album, Nebraska. Now, granted, that's about um, uh, two uh, uh, serial killers. But, uh, y- you know, hey, we it's all have our issues. We all have our, yeah, yes. yeah. Um, so, uh, well, I would, what were we saying? Something great, I bet. Yeah, I know. I, I, agree, with, I agree with what you're saying. There, there's something about, like, everyone has something to do, but when they get to the yacht, it... I don't. I don't know if it's that there's sort of no forward momentum to it. Things mm-hmm. just kind of happen, and you discover what's going on, and then suddenly, you know, um, this bad thing is happening, and that. But but it's there's never a feeling of there's never a feeling of too much danger to it. The the couple who are pulling the scam aren't terribly. You know, this isn't. You know. I know this. This isn't some crazy. This is this isn't those two serial killers from Nebraska. You know this. This is this is just this is like a rich couple trying to pull off a scam. Mm-hmm. And so so there's it's it, there's never any sort of feeling of danger from them. Well, there again, there's a great scene there where Aidman pretends to be drunk. Yes, and, uh, and Rex can tell that he's not. Yeah, and and um, now the question: Does that make? Does that improve the story? No, it's just a nice standalone scene. Yeah, yeah, and then and then like watching like uh uh um like the this the the scene with um when Kenny finally saves Melody who's been kidnapped and and Lusty, and and they're like locked in a room of a house and he thinks they're in a lot of trouble but he Lusty's actually showing Melody like all sorts of dance moves and yeah. things which is a lovely which is a lovely moment but then there's this weird moment where this weird thing where Kenny has saved Cal and I forget who one of the one of the guys uh, from the steam room mm-hmm. and and the guy and Cal don't seem affected by the steam but Kenny's arms have been burnt yes, and yes. they wrap his arms in bandages and so when he breaks down the door and freeze Melody and Lusty. They're like, "Oh, Kenny, how are you? What's going on? Oh, she was just teaching me this. Come on, we got to get out of here." Okay, and they never say, "Kenny, why are your arms bandaged completely?" Oh, there, poor, there's, poor dear, you know that. Yeah, there, it's 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 just this these weird moments where it's like, I love the 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 fact that they're they're so calm and having fun when they're locked up in this house, but at the same time they don't see the, the fact that they don't see what's going on with Kenny is a little odd as he just saved their lives and so there are bits bits in the in the episode that don't quite match up sort of the way they should yeah and and 
and not like I said, seeing everyone do something is great. Um, and Kenny's anger when he tries to uh, there's a scene when Melody is kidnapped and he's talking to the secretary for these two people and she's like, oh, uh, there's no one here. No, no, she was here. I just saw her come up. I brought her here. No, no one was here. No, no, she was here. Where is she now? I'm sorry, I can't. T and just the anger on his yes. face where he's like, I, you know, I don't punch ladies. But I'm about to punch one right mm -hmm. now. If you and don't the, tell me the, what's the going. purse and the whole thing. Yes, oh, yeah, and it, yeah, and it's it's just like seeing him get so angry. I guess she's not going out with like was it Saint John, Nicholas yes, Saint John, or whatever just anymore. Been a casual thing. Yes, yeah, and um, but yeah, not not to not to put down the episode, folks. I no. just, I I think yeah, I've I, I've I've said I've said I'm trying to sort of work out in my mind. Through through completely why I don't love this episode, um, but I think it's definitely one worth watching, and it's got enough going on. It's just um, I, I wish they had had like better villains or something in this more, one. More they villainous need, villains. More villainous villains, not just two rich people who are like, okay, we're gonna pull this scam, and you know, and then when you find out what it is, you know, I I, I was thinking here, there's something about um, uh. The what what the, it remind me of when you were talking about how scary it is to look at your face and not have it be your face. Mm -hmm. um, I was just thinking of um, the portrait of Lenore. Yeah. And and the way how how the woman in that and I I I don't I was still trying not to spoil it although that was a few episodes ago but but part of that is the relationship of the veiled woman and what her face is and the woman in the portrait that she steals and so there's this thing too of. Um, and why she steals it kind of relates to getting your finding your face, getting your face back, as it were. Now I think Lenore handles it in a little more interesting fashion. Mm -hmm. um, but then everyone and everyone gets stuff to do, but not as much as in here and Lusty is in here. Ah, it's it's you know half a dozen of this, six it's, of that. It's you know. a trade off. It's a trade off. Yeah. And if, you know with you with Lusty in the episode, uh, really yeah, that gives you a lot of goodwill. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. She, she, um, she. Oh, she's great. She's great. And um, I'm, I'm gonna scan my notes because I have a note here about the lobster souffle. Yes, so do I. Yes, and and uh, uh, um, uh, uh, Rex makes one in the beginning that that doesn't puff up right, and then he makes one in the end that everyone enjoys. Um, but there's some when the souffle doesn't work in the beginning. There's some weird laughter from everyone did you notice that like kenny has a real forced laugh he does at the souffle you know sort of hmm. like he he's having fun there's a shot he's sitting on the spiral staircase lo looking looking at the at the kitchen counter mm -hmm. and he lets loose a laugh about the souffle which kind of is, is a mix of forced laughter and kind of like i want to laugh at a fallen lobster souffle but i don't know how and this is what i'm gonna do and he does it, and it just feels strange. And, of course, this is the same spiral staircase that a few moments later, um, the guy who lost his face, he gets chased up by, like, two white-suited guys with straight jackets, uh, which I just found funny. I expected one of them to have, like, a butterfly net. But it, it's just like, <laughs> there's just this moment, ah, and he runs up the spiral staircase. And I'm thinking, I don't think that leads anywhere. But Stairway to nowhere. Stairway to nowhere. Um, uh, but... Yeah, yeah. So, and then they do eat souffle in the end. And I, oh, I have the scene on right now where um, Lusty visits the office, and, which like, is a great uh, scene because, which is, oh, and it brings the whole relationship with uh, Melody because Melody doesn't like her at this point. Yes, and she yes. she uh, keeps trying to tell Lusty that nobody's there. Mm -hmm. 
and then instantly uh, uh, Cal walks in and says, "Why didn't you tell me she was here?" And brings her in. It's like, oh, Melody. She she tried. I like the looks. Looks Kenny. Kenny's given lusty. And, yeah. And, uh, and then Rex. Yeah, the, and the, the, the the whole thing. It's like, like, well, we didn't know you were here. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Melody. She just she's trying. I think I think it's really like she just doesn't. I I think she gets lusty sort of you know. Uh, uh, Lusty's appeal, but at the same time, she's like, I don't uh, fully understand a woman like this kind of thing. Not at the same time, mm-hmm. Melody does do um, like uh, Miss USA type things. Right. So but she I'm, walks. She, a... she must. I have to think that somewhere in her family, she's gotten the idea that um, that women, real women, don't do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Because at yeah, least in the in the beauty pageants, at least she's covered up. Yeah, yeah, she's just got she's got a not terribly revealing uh, from the one time we saw her like bathing suit mm-hmm. on kind of thing. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's I, I do like Melody sort of trying to process exactly what this woman is yeah. in front of her, and like Kenny's already processed. Oh yeah, he knows, yes. <laughs> he knows, and, and Rex knows, and, and Cal's the lucky one yeah. in this episode. Um, but and I love to I love to when when they're talking with Lusty in the kitchen area and Melody's got like her ear up to the door trying to listen and she just it's like it's like she's uh, Lusty's almost like a scientific specimen that like and she's just look, Melody's just looking at her going I cannot figure out this woman and then in the end they they seem to be pals yeah. which is cool I didn't quite expect that and that was nice I'd like to see Lusty come back I would too I hope that the and and I don't at least I don't know whether she comes back or not yeah, the, I hope she does. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you would think she would. We still got a bunch of episodes left. Yeah, I mean, two appearances halfway through the season. We're not. I mean, we're not even halfway through the season. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. What What else do you have? I think I'm. I might be near the end of my find my face notes here. Bongos, lusty. Yep. yep. She really gave um, Cal a whack with those bongos too. On the, she did. On yeah. The ship. He looks like uh, he's really feeling it. Yeah, he did. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's see. What else do I have? Booze chat. I don't know quite what that means. I think that's when the guy's pretending to be drunk. Yeah. He really uh, plays it up. Um, and a great name character, Benny the Bullet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, drunk guy. That's not my face. Yeah. Graham Carver. He, does, he doesn't know me. Yeah, I'm. I yeah, yeah. I guess I think that's kind of the end of my notes. Um, it's an average show. It's not... It's not a bad episode by any means, again, and I guess this is the second time I've said this, um, you're not going to, you're going to enjoy it. You're going to have fun yeah. with it. As a as a plot, it yeah. doesn't, it isn't that effective, but yeah. um, I think that it may be that by the time uh, you've seen the whole thing, you don't really care. That's true, yeah. And I, I, I was thinking it's sort of, it sort of feels like either like, um, uh, like say like if if you had a favorite band and they either broke up or some of the main members left and then suddenly they do an album where everyone's back together and it's so great to hear everyone yes but it's clear that sort of the the songs aren't quite there even though it's great to have everyone there you know or even like a TV reunion special mm-hmm. where it's so great to see everyone again but maybe the plot isn't quite up to much uh, that's that's a that's a bit overdoing it because we're in the middle of the series but that's sort of the way it is everyone after the last episode which was really weird and the one before which was mostly um cal Mm-hmm. This one has everyone back together again, but unlike Portrait of Lenore, where I think the plotting really works, I think here it's just kind of a kind of a shrug in the plotting, even though it's great to have the band back together. Yeah, so I think that works. 
So, uh, yeah, so definitely, I mean, again, I think you'll enjoy the episode in the moment Lusty shows up. I don't know if that's, if we should have put a spoiler on that, because I had no idea that was going to happen. Well, I didn't either, but on the other hand, I think that uh, that gives people something to look forward to. Yeah, agreed. Uh, so, if that's all you've got, Mitchell, I'd like to ask you a question. Fire away. I forgot what it was. No, I'm kidding. Of course, I'm. For, uh, it was. Uh, where uh, where can we find you online? And please tell us about. I hear there's a book. Yes, there is. Find a my book. face. No, <laughs> that's a question. That would be a. Um, the uh, the book is called the electronic mirror. What classic TV tells us about who we were and who we are and everything in between. It is a, a collection of essays that looks at the different ways that classic TV acts as a time capsule that shows us um, exactly what life was like and where life is headed. And that's what I find so interesting about it. And um, I'm, I'm very pleased with uh, how it turned out. And I, I hope that uh, other people are as well. And um, it is an outgrowth of my website, which is it's about TV.com, which has all sorts of fun things about classic TV shows, old TV guides, um, old TV stars. And, um, why why you should care about them because you really should and they don't they don't get enough credit you know um it's like people get issues of the new york times or um life magazine from the day they were born or the week they were born to see what the world was like when you were born you could do that with any of these shows or any of these issues of tv guide and you'd get the same effect and uh, i uh, really think this is my little contribution to trying to show us that we ought to take these things seriously I think uh, I, I'm a, I've been a big fan of the site for a long time, and I think the book is fantastic. I recommend Wait. it heartily to everyone. And um, uh, I, I don't know where we are right now. I think we're very close to Christmas, if I remember correctly. Um, I've kind of forgotten. But I feel like we're – yes, we are, folks. It's Christmas. It's Hanukkah. It's all the good times. Buy a gift. You will love it. Electronic Mirror. Pick it up today. Thank you. Uh, okay, so I'm going to, what I would just like to do, uh, I would like to end this episode with a find my face off. I'm going to go first, Mitchell, you go, then we're going to stop and the audience can decide who does a better one. Okay. <clears throat> find my face! Find my face! I don't know, Mitchell was pretty good on that one. I don't know. <laughs> Well, you, can, you folks decide. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Okay. Bye-bye, everyone. Until next time, I hope you find your face. Saturday, get set for Bugs Bunny's loony Christmas tales. There's lots of ho-ho-ho. Then, twas the night before Christmas. But if the town clock doesn't chime, Santa won't get there in time for Christmas. Two original holiday specials you won't want to miss. Saturday at 8, 7 Central and Mountain. This is CBS. Hey, everyone. It's Dan... I'm here doing something a little different for the third segment. This episode goes out eh, around like December 12th, December 13th, 2018. It has been a particularly good year for me, maybe maybe for a lot of folks. Uh, I don't want to speak for everyone, though. But it hasn't been a particularly good year for me, so I thought what I would do is, I would, for the third segment, I would just do a little reminiscing about Christmas, generally, I was thinking of like Christmases uh, with my sister Lorraine. My my, I have two sisters, Lorraine and Allison. Allison was born in '86. I was born in '73. 
Lorraine was born in 75, so we shared Christmases together, and you know, and we, which was lovely when we were young. And so I just thought I'd want to talk a little about Christmas TV specials. I wanted to talk a little bit about gifts we got. And I actually have a couple of... I have the JCPenney Christmas 1980 catalog, the 82 and the 83. The 81 is nearby, should I need it. But And, and, and I'm couching all of this in me watching... A favorite Christmas special of mine from 1979. Let's see, I think it was November 27th, 1979. Bugs Bunny's Looney Christmas Tales. Now, and I'll be watching this from the fifth volume of the Looney Tunes Golden uh, Collection. By the way, it's disc four, and I'm beginning right after the uh, logo, Warner Brothers logo, goes away. So the the track it's 23 minutes and 29 seconds. I'm approximately 11 seconds in. This was one that my sister and I remember us watching quite regularly. I'm going to talk about that when we get to that. And the, the I will say um, that the this is not a commentary on the Bugs Bunny special. I'm actually using the time to keep myself under control here because I could probably reminisce for about an hour or three. So I'm keeping it so that will be about 23 and a half minutes uh, after I'm done yakking here. Uh, that will be my, my full chat will be the 23 and a half-ish minutes. I'm just talking about things, just shooting the breeze about Christmas. I'm feeling a little under the weather today. I've actually got a lovely, I heated up some eggnog and stirred uh, stirred him through in, through a little cinnamon and stirred it up, the, the eggnog itself, uh, after I warmed it up with a cinnamon stick. So it's very cinnamony, it's very eggnoggy. I'm just gonna have a little sip right here. Mm. A little warm, but tasty, very tasty. So now let us dive in to Bugs Bunny's Looney Christmas Tales. Three, two, one. Now you might hear it in the background. With boughs of holly, you get the gang singing. I grew up with Looney Tunes in the theater. No, I'm kidding. Of course, I'm not that old. You heard how 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 you when I was born. I wouldn't have seen these in the theater. I wish I could have though. My gosh, that would have been fun. But no, I grew up watching these Saturday morning. You know, and it was weird too. The Saturday morning cartoons in the in the '70s and the early '80s. Not so much as the '80s went along, but like look at Super Friends. Say Super Friends, which was filled with villains and heroes and everything, was one of the most non-violent things you've ever seen. And like He-Man or something like that, they would go out of their way to be as un unviolent as possible. I like that unviolent. Uh, and yeah, Looney Tunes were just nothing but crazy violence over and over again. And you know what? I don't think it screwed me up. Uh, the fact that I can sit here calmly with this eggnog and these catalogs and with it playing, I think I think I'm pretty well adjusted to whatever it is uh, I am. It's Bug, Bugs Bunny's Looney Christmas Tales. Here we go. Like I said, I loved them. This is a, this is this consists of three segments, brand new cartoons. This was around the time when they were doing a bunch of these with the Looney Tunes. And you get the yeah. This first one here is basically Yosemite Sam is Scrooge and Bugs Bunny is his worst enemy. And I seem to think I was six. I seem to think very, very, very clearly. I seem to remember watching this one with my sister, who who would have been four. I, and it used to be the joy of it was. I mean, you guys know this if you grew up in the in this time in the seventies, the eighties. You would we used to get the TV book from the Rochester Democrat and Chronicle, and you'd pour through the TV book. You go to the prime time schedule. You'd pour through it, and you see generally it was eight to nine, generally a weekday. And you would get two shows. A lot of times, like with this, they would like this, and then an older show. I, 
I, I didn't write down any old show, but it would be like, say, like Garfield Christmas in 85, 86, whenever that was, followed by Bugs Bunny's Looney Christmas Tales. And you get generally a new and an old. And sometimes you'd get ones like uh, Looney Christmas Tales and for a while Garfield Christmas, and especially the Rankin and Bass ones and Charlie Brown Christmas, obviously, that were always going to show up. That were always there. And something like Charlie Brown Christmas was was the feature, you know, sort of in its in its own right. And was uh was always so much fun. I, I have Charlie Brown Christmas on Blu-ray now, for heaven's sake, and watch out for that. The Blu-ray I got has a widescreen version. It looks like they just zoomed in on the picture. Have a look at the opening shot with, with um, Lucy and the football in Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, and pay attention to the edge of the frames all the way around, especially the tree that's on the right side. They just... They're, they're, it looks like they just zoomed in to, to make it fill the screen. I, I've got to pass on that. Anyways, my sister and I, it was big. The Christmas specials were big. If you, if you know them, you know uh, how that was. And it was just so much fun to see. Like with the Looney Christmas Tales, it was great to see that your, these characters who I love show up and be Christmassy. You know, and right now there's Yosemite Sam is slapping Sylvester and Porky Pig is warming his rump in front of a, a stove. He's not, I don't understand this. I mean, I know, I guess, you know, work, work, you know, it's tough getting a job sometimes. You know, it's tough getting a job and keeping a job. But this job is so terrible. You know, presumably, you know, Porky does good work. Uh, but still, I don't know. I, you know, I I don't I guess there was no recourse back then. Yeah, well, I guess a lot of jobs stink nowadays too. But la, la 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 la. But I always think that Porky could try to get a better job to support his family. Um, I guess by the end of the Christmas Carol, a Christmas Carol, he's got a nice job. Uh, if Ebenezer keeps it, did you ever think of that? Like, is Ebenezer gonna you know like get like halfway into February and go, what the heck am I doing? You know, get out of here, Porky. You know, and just 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 turn on everyone. I don't know. Hopefully his life has changed enough. Anyway, yeah, we used to... I, I'm going off on tangents. That's going to happen, folks. I, I didn't tell you the other ingredient I put in the eggnog. I'm kidding, of course. Ah, kind of puny, isn't he? So, we used to... Yeah, we used to really look forward to the TV specials. I think... <laughs> I, 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 I do remember one of the things I always thought is I always preferred when there were two specials rather than, like, say, an hour-long one, like Rudolph or Santa Claus is Coming to Town. I always felt a little gypped, except Christmas Eve on Sesame Street. I didn't mind that. I think that premiered around 79, 82. I'd have to, I'd have to actually look to see. I, I forgot to check when Christmas Eve on Sesame Street premiered, but that was a big one, too. That was one we used to watch, and that was generally on Christmas Eve. And we would, uh, we would uh, at that time, late 70s, or December 3rd, 1978, okay, the year before, so I was five, but I remember very clearly, yeah, one of the things with Christmas Eve is that there would be, like, specials and concerts and things, but you'd rarely get, at that time, the spe- the uh, stuff like um, Bugs Bunny's Looney Christmas Tales or The Little Rascal's Christmas or Ziggy's Gift or, or, or any of those. You you would generally get, you we get Christmas Eve on Sesame Street somewhere in there, and then we would get uh, the... Um, yeah, the specials, the concerts, things like that. I'm sorry, um, Yosemite Sam's about to take a bath and uh, Bugs is about to cause a little chicanery. He's a stinker. And, yeah, Christmas Eve on Sesame Street was always... we we Christmas Eve in from the late 70s, from when I can remember, to about the mid-80s, we'd either go to my um, grandparents' house, my Polish grandparents' house, that's a big B-bopcha, and Grandpa is 
I always thought it was like Jaja when I was a kid, but something like Jaja, something like that. And you think like J-A hyphen J-A, but it's Polish. So there's probably four D's and eight Z's in there. So and I'm probably saying it wrong because that, that was one of the big things when my mom, my dad died in 81 and we had a few lean years and and then 85 she remarried and she, they're still married they're still well uh, I'm actually going to see them uh, for, for a bit right before Christmas uh, this year 2018 I haven't seen them at their house and been there at Christmas for five years so that'll be fun lots of snow Mary in New York but where was I oh and yeah the, the thing with the P- Polish pronunciations I'm really bad at them because my my favorite food are, are pierogies but my when my mother would say them when I was young, I never saw it spelled out. And when I was young, she would say she would like it was like pelogis, and she would say like they're p e l l o g i. She like rolled the Polish accent. Now I remember my stepdad getting very cross at me when I kept calling them pelogis, and he said they're pierogies. It's with an R. Is it, Mom? Is that right? Yes, they're with an R. So you pronounce a pierogi? Yes, pelogi. And you know it was like then get out the. Get out the blue spoon and hit Dan in the butt. Anyways. Yeah, oh yes. No, we're having ghost times here on uh, Yosemite. Oh boy. Poor, poor Sam. And yeah, Christmas Eve on Sesame on Christmas. And what what happened was in like the mid-80s after my grandfather died, we just started going out to my Aunt Helen's house in Churchville, New York, which was, yeah, I imagine it still is, but was in the middle of nowhere. I know they were building stuff up in it lately. I haven't, I haven't been to a Christmas Eve there in 20 years, but we used to go there a lot. Those are the ones that are documented on the family tapes that I actually, I forgot, back in Bleeding Skull days, like 2009 or 11 or 12 or something like that, I did a feature reviewing the family Christmas videos. I forgot all about that. Uh, I wish it was still on there. Joe's taking a lot of stuff down. So, But anyways. Um, but yeah, we would watch the Christmas specials and it was fun because you, you'd mark them out and you'd say Tuesday is Looney Christmas Tales and Frosty the Snowman. And then hopefully you get like two a week in, in the three or four weeks leading up to Christmas. If we were lucky, two a week. Sometimes it was only one. But and then sometimes you get so like the the variety specials like the Osmond family Christmases and things like that, which I always found to be startlingly cheesy is not a word I like to use, but they kind of are. Uh, but but I I I watch some of them on uh, you know YouTube and such, and eh, you know they have their charms. They do what they need to do, and then they go. Uh, we're getting to the, up to the end of the Christmas Carol thing, so I may change course when the second segment begins. But yeah, if, if you were lucky, you got like two hours uh, a week in the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And there were, I mean, Halloween, you got a lot of specials. Thanksgiving, there were a bunch that were a few for New Year's. But the Christmas ones and the Halloween ones were the best. And it was just, oh, it was a joy. It was an absolute joy watching these. And like I said, you would get, you know, as the 80s went along, you got like Smurfs Christmas. Was that an hour long? I seem to think that was an hour long, but I could be wrong. Your Smurfs Christmas and your Ziggy's Gift and your Garfield and all these random characters. Your, um, the uh, the uh, the um, film, uh, Claymation. The Claymation um, uh, with the, the raisins and everything. Oh, they're Roadrunner, Wile E. Coyote. My grandfather's favorite character. Not uh, a Polish, no, it was Polish grandfather too. Grand, Grandpa Budnick on my dad's side. He used to have, we used to have a cottage in Sodus Bay in New York State, and he had uh, a covering the couches and everything in the living room area were all big stuffed animals of the Looney Tunes characters. He loved them, he loved them, and a stuffed bobcat. Teeth, super sharp, don't stick your hand in there. We don't have that cottage anymore. I think I've said this before, like the family mascot was a skunk. 
I don't know. Is that uh, like a Polish thing? Is that is that like? Do we have like big Italian neighbors who came over and said you're gonna be skunks and put a skunk up? I don't know. Regardless, Christmas special. I keep going off on tangents, but I guess that's the point. It's it's Christmas, you know. It's like I, I love I love the thing I love about Christmas, as with Halloween, Christmas more so. I think is that yeah, it's it's one of the few times of the year where you can I you can get super nostalgic but then each year adds to the nostalgia so it's not like you're you're just revisiting so you're not revisiting something that's dead as it were it's constantly growing so whatever i do this year will become part of my nostalgia about christmas 10 years from now you know i'm from 89 to 92 and a little bit 93 then 97 through 99 we recorded our christmases like crazy so we have all this great footage of you know relatives who have passed and and places where people don't live anymore and and it's it's so much fun and you get me being an idiot most of the time so one more i'm gonna say it one more time then i have a sip of nog and then we'll change tactics slightly since uh wiley coyote is trying out his big snow machine which keeps zonking him pretty darn good yeah this the specials two times a week generally if you were lucky some weeks there if there was only one that was disappointing but i remember being so excited getting home from school and doing my homework and having a little snack having a little dinner watching something and then at eight o'clock just sometimes we'd have popcorn you know sometimes we wouldn't and we just sit there and we watch it we just enjoy the heck out of them even the commercials i don't remember being bothersome all those zingers during charlie brown christmas i just i just it was a it was a, it was a great time. It was a fun time, you know. And you never knew. I there's a thing. We got our first VCR in early '83, I think. But I never taped these specials, which always seemed weird to me because I used to tape Doctor Who. I used to tape Green Acres. I used to tape all sorts of like new shows that would come on, and like just tape. Well, like one of my favorites, which we'll cover one day, like Shadow Chasers. I taped that when it was on, and but for some reason I never taped the Christmas specials. I think it it was sort of. I always expected them to be back, and if they weren't back, then it wasn't meant to be. Maybe they'll be back next year. Maybe I'll never see it again. It, ne- it never sort of occurred to me that I should make a copy of the Christmas specials and sort of set them aside. I think too that in that time tapes were pretty expensive in the first half of the '80s. We had a beta, and so I didn't have a lot of stuff. And so if I would have taped, say, the bunch of Christmas specials like this one or or, or some of the others, then you know, when July hit and I needed a tape, I'd probably go, oh, to heck with it and record over it. So let me wrap this. Oh, one more thing. I don't know. Does anyone remember this? HBO in the early 80s uh, used to have for several years, I want to say like 82, 83, maybe 84, had several things that they specifically had. They were, well, they had Oliver, um, the the movie. Uh, Carol Reed directed that? Who directed that? Oliver, the movie, which they used to show and I used to watch every December. But they also had Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas the BC Christmas special with Bob and Ray doing the main voices. This was a couple of years before I discovered Bob and Ray. And Bob and Ray are fantastic, by the way. If you go on the archive.org, they have a bunch of their 19, a lot of their stuff, but they have many of their 1959 to 1960 15-minute long shows on CBS. Go to the Christmas week ones. They're a lot of fun. And let's see, BC special. Oh, and Red Skeleton, Freddy the Freeloader Christmas with him and Vincent Price, which has a, a bit in a telephone booth where he gets his finger caught in the in the change uh, return thing that made me almost pee my pants, or possibly pee my pants, on more than one occasion. But having said that, let's talk gifts. Now, I'm looking at gifts here. And what's going on on the, on the, on the thing here? Oh, poor, poor Coyote. We're about halfway through right now. And... What has he got? Sled dogs love coyotes, especially for suppers. Aren't aren't sled aren't dogs and coyotes close to? I don't know. I'm no. I'm not. 
Sorry. So I'm actually looking here. You know what's funny? I'm looking here at the 1980 JCPenney catalog. I'm on page 440, if you're playing along. <coughs> Pardon me, the Empire Strikes Back stuff. Oh, the page before that is Monsters and Things and the Monster Energizing Machine, $12.99. Tell your friends. But I'm looking at the Empire Strikes Back stuff. I had a friend, Mark Kawadi, who lived next door to me. Uh, it was my best friend growing up. And he had more Star Wars stuff than anyone I knew. As each of the movies came out, he got all the stuff. I did not. I preferred books. I usually got a lot of books uh, for that, that time for Christmas. Uh, which always confused my... And when, when the 80s went on and we started to spend Christmas Day with my stepdad's family, that always confused them, that I always preferred books to, like, clothes or toys or something like that. They wouldn't... All, all I can think of, I, their, their, their response is not quite this, but it's like, if you've ever seen the show The Royal Family, the British uh, comedy, their first Christmas special when Anthony is going to... Uh, he's finished dinner with his family and then he's going to have dinner with his girlfriend. His, his girlfriend's family have a lot of money. And uh, they say so, and he's asked, so what do they do? You know, well, they have dinner, and then after dinner, you know, they play parlor games. You know, like charades and that. And there's a pause, and the whole family bursts into hysterics. What is their TV broken? He's so rich, they're playing charades, and they laugh at him. I always felt uh, my stepdad's family kind of did that with regards to me reading so much. But anyways, I had from Star Wars. Now, I would see Star Wars, I think it's some sort of revival, like 79 or 80 or something like that. Uh, I know oh, I definitely saw uh, oh Merry Christmas and Happy New Year Wiley um, alright we've got about 8 minutes left of me yattering along here so and with Star Wars I yeah I, obviously I saw Empire when it came out with my family and I saw Return of the Jedi when it came out with a bunch of friends uh, for someone's like 10th birthday or something but Star Wars I saw a year or two after it came out when it was probably running constantly but and I had I had Chewbacca action figures, Chewbacca, Yoda, Yoda had like a cloak and, and a cane, and Snaggletooth. It's okay if you don't remember who Snaggletooth was. I didn't know who he was either. Who's this one, Mom? Oh, that's Snaggletooth. Where's, where's he from? I don't know. He was for, in the cantina. You see him. He's like a werewolfy kind of guy. You see him for like two seconds. And you know what? I was fine with those figures. Uh, but but my, yeah, my friends, especially Mark next door, he had a ton of these. But I'm looking here. It's like we got the Darth Vader Star Destroyer, 1888, figure show not included, of course. Millennium Falcon for 2688. The radio-controlled Sandcrawler, 2988. I wonder how many kids opted for the radio-controlled Sandcrawler over Millennium Falcon. Or maybe if your parents were buying you those, that money wasn't an issue. I, I will say this. I never got stuff like that. We weren't, um, my, my dad was a firefighter. My mom worked for the phone company until my dad died. And then my mom started teaching preschool. So we, we had a few lean years there in the first half of the 80s. But we always got good gifts, which is pretty cool. We always got a lot of gifts. And, oh yeah, a lot of great stuff here. Twin pod cloud car. Oh, there's, there's that big Darth Vader head. Holds 32 figures. $8.88. Good gravy. Yep. Star Trek on the next page stuff from Star Trek the Motion Picture every kid loved Star Trek the Motion oh actually I don't know if this is Star Trek the Motion Picture and then the next page you guessed it some Buck Rogers oh is that Flash Gordon yep Flash Gordon action figures wow this is great something I'm just I'm just I, I, I could spend an entire time flipping through the catalogs but I was going to go go to the 82 real quick because 82 page 483 in the center of the page it has Coleco you know I don't know if you remember these but you can look up like Coleco uh, not handheld but 
miniature arcade games. They looked like the arcade games, and they were $60 each. Good gravy. That was a lot of money in, in 82. And my mom got me Galaxium in 82. Um, and on the next page over is a dun the Dungeons & Dragons pocket size game where you, you basically you're in a dungeon and you have to go through the dungeon. And I never fully understood that game, but it was 20 bucks. And Quiz Whiz, I had that. Good gravy. These are fun. And, oh my gosh, I had that baseball game. I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know what? Maybe next year I'll do a, a big... Oh my gosh. I'm on page 545, 82 catalog. The comic book collector's outfit. fifteen ninety nine Collector's kit on, on one side. Collector's outfit here. Yeah, it was just filled with comics and a price guide and all sorts of fun stuff. Oh my gosh, I remember that. That was cool. Ah, uh, yeah, and... I'm I'm looking here. Yeah, for some reason the '83 catalog doesn't have Galaxian. It's Donkey Kong, Frogger, Pac-Man, Ms. Pac-Man, and the little ones, and Donkey Kong Jr. and Zaxxon. Oh, Zaxxon, that was a rough one, huh? I never figured that one out. Oh gosh, yeah. Oh, oh, the kid who wants his own fake tool tool bench. Okay, well, or it's a workbench. What is that? Yeah, blueprint workbench with fake tools and other fake junk. Yeah, it's it's. That's fun here. It's a, oh, it's a Pac-Man game, nine sixty-nine. Oh wow! Listen to this: board games, Zaxxon, Berserk, Turbo, Pac-Man, Frogger, Donkey Kong, Ms. Pac-Man, all around eight to ten bucks. Ooh, Donkey Kong is much more expensive than the others. I wonder why. A crawl game. Oh my gosh! I'd like to go back in time and spend nine forty-nine on that. Video varmints. What are these things? These are fantastic. I want I want all of these things and I want them. Oh, I'm in the baby section here. Okay, I'm gonna go the other way. I want, I always love we we would get the catalogs and what we do is uh it, it was basically right uh Thanksgiving weekend. My sister and I would sit down on the living room floor with pieces of paper and pens, JC Penny catalog, Sears catalog, we would start at the back and we would just go in, in reverse order like we were reading um a manga. We would just go in reverse order, and we would go through, and we'd write down all the toys and the prices and the pages they were on, and like the the whether it was number four, number five on the page. Ah, uh, that was so great. I do variations on that nowadays. My wife and I we exchange gifts, and I, I I do it online, which is is not as fun. But I do I do a list, and I give the price and everything like that. So that's cool. And I think we're getting near the end of my rambling here. I didn't get quite as much as I would have liked. Ah. I, I figured asides would be part of all of this, but I'll just say the last thing before we wrap up in about three minutes. From around 78, 79, when I was five or six, till about 84 or so, I had a tradition that um, was not one that I particularly liked that happened every Christmas Eve. Because like I said, we would go to... Uh, it was either our house, or grandparents' house, and then after the times my aunt Helen's house for Christmas Eve. Uh, then we usually go to the five o'clock mass before there. In the second half of the eighties, we started going to a Polish midnight mass, which was at ten p.m., which was awesome. But we usually go to the five o'clock mass, and then we'd have Christmas Eve and dinner, and hopefully Christmas Eve on Sesame Street somewhere in there. We'd open some gifts, and then we go to bed. And I had the the same thing every year. You know, I go to bed Christmas Eve maybe nine thirty, ten o'clock. And I'd sleep, and this happened, like I said, this happened for about five or six years. I remember it all, like I said, it became a tradition. I would wake up around two o'clock, three o'clock, quite early, and would not be able to fall back asleep. I'd generally sneak down to check out the, the tree and the gifts to make sure everything was there. Sorry, my dog George just leapt up near me here. I have to move something. But we would, um, oh, there goes the inflated Tasmanian Devil. I figure the, the, those Looney Tunes Blu-ray and DVD sets are so loaded with experts 
you didn't really want to hear me talking about this. I, 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 I hope you wanted to hear me talking about this. But yeah, literally, at Christmas Eve, I wouldn't fall asleep. I could not fall asleep. And uh, it's, it's funny, that, that, that stopped happening somewhere around the mid-80s. I think it was just one day we were in a new house, my mom got remarried, and I just remember one Christmas falling asleep and thinking, well, I'll be up in a couple hours, and then suddenly opening my eyes, it was like 8.30 in the morning. I was like, oh my gosh. And you can actually see it in some of the Christmas videos. You can see clocks where it's like 9.45 and we haven't started opening gifts yet. It was 7 a.m. that we used to get up and open gifts and such. Back back when Lorraine and I were little. But, oh, we got one minute left. So let, let's wrap this up. But yeah, that was this weird thing where it would just, I would go to sleep and say, please just let me sleep till like 6 in the morning. I can't sit here for three or four hours. It was the one night of the year that I wasn't afraid of the dark. I was good with it. I figured Santa had been there. Nothing was under the bed. Nothing was going to come at me from the basement or come up the steps. My, my bedroom was at the foot of the steps. I figured I'd be okay. So, But it, it got infuriating because I, I couldn't really... Um, I, I couldn't go downstairs and put on the on TV. Um, after a time, somewhere in there, I got a little TV in my room. And so I was able to put that on. But it just felt like I was cheating. If I put on anything, I had to try to get back to sleep. Never happened. Uh, and then Christmas Day, we'd open gifts. We're wrapping up now. Christmas Day, we'd open gifts. Always a good... Yeah, yeah, actually always generally a good haul, which was very kind of my parents. And yeah, we'd either, after gifts, we'd either go to... Oh, and it's over. We would either go to... Um, we'd go to one of the Budnick homes uh, until my mom got remarried. Then we went to my uh, my stepdad's house or they came over. But... Yeah, that's uh, that's it. Christmas specials, TV Christmas specials. I know they still show them, and I know Hallmark is constantly showing Christmas movies. And I think the thing with the Hallmark Christmas movies is I like having them on in the background sometimes. But once I start paying attention to them, I kind of lose track of what's happening a bit. So, yeah. Yeah, happy holidays, everyone. And specifically here, Merry Christmas to you. I hope you have a, hope you have a wonderful uh, a time, a, g- a great New Year, and I hope 2019 is excellent. Now, having said this, it's not like I'm going away. We're going to have one more episode, and this is becoming the closing of the episode. I guess it is. This is, uh, we're going to have one more episode uh, in Christmas week, and then take January off. So, I guess this has suddenly become the closing. Hey, everyone, welcome to the closing of the show. Uh, AdventureSuperTrain.blogspot.com, uh, at eSuperTrain1, AdventureSuperTrain on Facebook, eSuperTrain at Yahoo.com is the email address. We're, we're having great times, and y- y- there will be a new show. A new show will be taking this, a new old show will be taking this spot with a guest host uh, in February. I just wanted to close out the year with a couple little vignette-type segments anyway, so... That is eventually Super Training episode 60. I hope you all enjoyed it. As I said, we will be back one more time before the end of 2008. If you're listening to this in 2020, you could care less. But maybe you couldn't care less. Maybe you couldn't care. Maybe you could care. Maybe you couldn't care less. Who cares? Who? Uh, don't worry about it, guys. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. And uh, I guess we'll wrap up with a little bit of this.